What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, a record drop in retail sales as Americans cut spending on non-essentials. So gas is cheap, but you got nowhere to go. Life after a pandemic. CNBC Beijing bureau chief Yunus Yun on what our future could be. Right now we have like registration of ID, temperature checks, the health code, the travel itinerary that's generated on your mobile phone that creates a barcode. And flying after COVID. Clear CEO Karen Seidman Becker on touch travel technology. I see a day where we need significant amounts of data to health insights around COVID to create a safe travel environment. And one pilot says he and his colleagues need concrete action from the FAA as well as the Department of Transportation if airlines are ever going to recover. They're giving us a platform of jello to stand firmly on. That's not going to work. Slogans don't work. Actual actions work. And it has to be concrete. It's Friday. Finally, how can you tell? May 15th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. First up today on the podcast, nobody's shopping. Retail spending plunged in April as the coronavirus pandemic forced the American consumer home and out of restaurants, stores, even gas stations. The April retail sales drop of 16.4% broke the record set just last month. Now, online retail sales are up, including a statistic I think I have directly influenced pajama sales up 150% last month. But the American consumer is our backbone, typically responsible for about 70% of our $21 trillion plus economy. Here's CNBC senior economics reporter Steve Leisman. People aren't buying stuff. I mean, I, I hate to state the obvious, but this is uh, an obvious uh, statement in bold relief here. Um, they're not buying cars down 12 percent. They're not buying furnishings and home furnishing uh, items down 58 percent. Clothing and clothing accessories down 78 percent. I mean, there's one positive here. I think there is just one positive, and that positive is non-store retailers up 8.4%. And besides some sort of uh, strange uh, up and down we had in December 18, that is the largest one-month increase, and that is electronics. And that's where people are indeed buying things. Uh, Non-store retailers down 29%. And I want to just say a word here. Uh, You have gasoline gasoline station uh, uh, sales down 28%. Normally, that's a good thing, uh, where the... um, uh, Decline in gas prices ends up being sort of like a tax cut for individuals. Except in this case, because people aren't driving, they aren't really getting that rebate necessarily. They're not paying as much for gasoline and not going to work, but you're not getting the stimulus you might otherwise get from the decline in gas prices. Similar ideas here with the decline in Federal Reserve interest rates. So um, the, the nation is shut down. That shutdown showing up dramatically in these retail sales prices, retail sales report here. And uh, we're just not seeing yet any kind of evidence in the early May data of much of a rebound, Andrew. 
Steve, one thing, though, that and I don't know if this is promising or not. You look you look at the, the auto numbers and you look at those auto numbers versus what the auto numbers were in China when this happened, for example. And it was a much worse situation over there. And so the question is, why do you think that? You know, how do you what's the distinction? Uh, I'm going to pass on that. I don't have any actual information on how the auto dealers at all are selling cars these days. Uh, it was down 33% in April, down 25% uh, in February. So uh, it, it's down pretty substantially. Uh, that it was better in China, I'll leave to Phil to how he's uh, going to explain that to us. Andrew. Okay. No, no. I mean, in China, we were talking about 70, 80% yeah. down. And so it just it's just a fundamentally different picture in trying to understand the distinction between our own market and, and sure. to the extent we've been looking at these other markets in the past to try to to, to understand what was going to happen here. Yeah, Steve, oh. so gas is cheap, but you got nowhere to go. There's a, I was going to say there's a, right. there's a great cruise leaving on Monday uh, on Carnival. <laughs> Tickets are, you can get a suite. They're beautiful. You, what do you say? None of these things work when, when we're not doing anything, do they? No, no. I, I think the best sign of normalcy, Joe, is that you feel comfortable enough to joke around. I'm with you on that. I, I just never know what the right tone is. And, and you're right. Uh, uh, you're, you, there, there are a lot of bargains out there, uh, but people are not necessarily going to take advantage of them. We have these pictures of people going out to restaurants, but I just put table data. I looked at the J.P. Morgan Chase Institute putting out real-time credit card data. Um, look, people are just really not spending because they're in their houses. And, and I don't know, Becky's the best barometer of all. Becky, are you ready to go to a restaurant? I keep telling people... You know, when, when they say this thing's going to be better than you think. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I tell people, look, let's make a bet. And the bet is I will buy you a steak dinner at a crowded restaurant if I'm wrong, because that's what I really want but, to happen. Steve, but that's not what I'm we, seeing we, yet. I, the one thing I want to add to that, though, is we are all in a very different place than much of the country. I mean, in, in New Jersey, right. in Connecticut, in Westchester and in Times Square. I mean, we're, we're in the hot zone, every single one of us. And that, that's a different story than you might see in a lot of other places. Yeah, Steve. I, I recognize that, guys. Joe, just oh, go ahead, Joe. But I just wanted to say one no. thing real quick, uh, uh, which is that I am looking at this data across the country, and I'm not seeing it in yeah. certain pockets, but I'm not seeing this wholesale get out. I mean, the pictures show these people in these restaurants. You're like, well, what's going on there? I'm just not seeing the data. We are learning from China what life after the pandemic may look like. Yunus Yun was under lockdown, bringing us critical reporting from Beijing from January through May and first traveled outside the city earlier this week for a report from Shanghai. She joins us now to talk about the changes in daily life that we may soon be seeing in America. And, and Yunus, I was following pretty closely a lot of stuff that you were tweeting just about how you got on the train, how they were taking people's uh, temperatures, what happened on the on the plane. And I have to admit, I'm watching all of this thinking, OK, is this what it's going to look like for us? What what, what to you was the, the most shocking thing, the most surprising thing and maybe what made you feel most comforted? Um, I think that just the whole idea of getting out and then, um, you know, was was a little bit anxiety ridden. I mean, I was I was quite nervous about uh, coming out just because we had been under lockdown here for four months. But it did feel good to finally see something new. Um, and traveling has changed. I mean, as you had noted, uh, the temperature checks, uh, there's thermal imaging uh, right when you walk into uh, the airport or when you walk into the train station. And then um, for the airport, I, I ended up getting my temperature checked five times. So 
I had to get my temperature checked when I walked in at the security gate and then again at the um, at the right at the, the gate and at, on my wrist and then at the plane door on my forehead. So uh, there's a lot of screening that takes place. Also, everybody has to wear a mask. The only time when I was allowed to take my mask off was when the security asked to ID me. And then also when I went through the metal detector. So they want to make sure that there's nothing hidden underneath your mask. Uh, then, of course, everybody has to wear PPE. So all the ground staff, um, the, the airline staff, everyone has at least a mask. Some people wear goggles, protective shields. Uh, the, the people who were handling all the temperature screening all had full-on hazmat suits, which um, you might think would be surprising, but at this point now in China is not really shocking at all. What, what was interesting, though, to me was that there wasn't a whole lot of social distancing on the planes or in the trains and because the uh, tickets now are all being sold. So um, in the past, the uh, railways and the airport authorities were trying to limit the number of seats that would be sold to make sure that there would be like alternate seating in all the carts. But uh, that no longer is the case. In the trains, also what was interesting was that if you do have a temperature, there is now an area where they want to quarantine you. So you would go in between the cars and uh, stand there for the rest of your journey. Um, but then they would ask you if you could please leave a little bit earlier than uh, your final destination because they want to make sure that there aren't any people who have fevers on the train. And then finally, also, one other thing that was interesting that happened just today, I've been hearing a lot now uh, from various um, factories and, and people working in companies that that the authorities here are talking about easing the travel entry ban for foreign executives. So as you guys know, uh, the for foreign executives, including foreign residents, have been banned from returning to China. But now it looks as though those the wheels are, are in motion to try to allow people to come in. There's been a lot of speculation that it could happen after the National People's Congress, which is next week um, and sometime in June. But that as a foreign executive, you would have to have a letter from your company vouching that you are a critical employee, and in some cases having another letter that vouches that you are healthy, so that legally you are tied to that company. And then secondly, once you come in, you would have to expect a 14-day quarantine. And so if you are a foreign resident, you would um, go to your home, and they're literally going to put police tape on your door to make sure that you do not come out. And then if you are not a resident in China, then you would be um, funneled to centralized quarantine or a government-appointed hotel. And that could not necessarily be in a city like Beijing or Shanghai, but more likely in Inner Mongolia or someplace else before you're allowed into one of the big cities. And so there are a lot of now changes that are taking place to try to make it a little bit easier for people who are coming from a lower uh, countries that have a lower infection uh, risk um, into into China who are seen as critical. But um, when I asked um, people, do you think Americans will be allowed anytime soon? Um, most people don't think that is the case because of the infection risk uh, level in, in the United States right wow. now. I mean, I mean, Eunice, a lot of the things that you could you just described, I could see happening here, things like temperature checks, requiring people to wear masks. Um, but the idea that anybody who flies into JFK uh, from from some other country is going to be told that they have to self-quarantine in North Dakota or something. I, I don't see that happening yeah. in America. Maybe maybe they ask you to, to stay and self-quarantine. I don't even know that we would set up 
hotels and say, okay, you have to stay here at the JFK hotel or something for 14 days. Uh, th those are things that I, I think China has had a much easier time because it's an authoritarian government with saying you're going to do these things. I don't know that that translates here. Yeah. And then also you have to pay for it yourself. You have to pay about one hundred and twenty dollars a day in order to, um, you know, for that that uh, a government appointed hotel in Inner Mongolia. However, the other thing, though, that I think is a big difference between the U.S. and China is the government mandated health code and this travel itinerary that's generated that generates a barcode from your mobile phone just because of privacy issues here in China everybody has to use them and um, it's unclear exactly uh, like which what data is collected whether or not you you know it's synced up to your medical records all of this stuff is a big question mark here and i don't necessarily see that as something that um, the uh, you know americans will really accept uh, but um, it's something that's very prevalent here. I mean, that's part of the basics. Uh, right now we have, like, registration of ID, temperature checks, the health code, the uh, travel uh, the travel itinerary that's generated um, on your mobile phone that creates a barcode. And then there are some things that, in terms of where we are in China, that um, are, are, are some things to watch. Like, one is that our sports venues here are now open. Uh, they require reservations. So if you want to go to a stadium or if you want to go someplace um, outdoors where you could go jogging, uh, you have to register. And so they want to limit the number of people who are there. Uh, some contact sports are still not allowed. Uh, there, are, it's, it's moved up a little bit where they say that you could play basketball, for example. If you're outside, you cannot play basketball. If you are indoors, you can play ping pong because that's social distanced uh, from the Chinese perspective. Um, in gyms right now, no swimming is allowed, no underground gyms, but you can now have some cardio machines, whereas before there was a lot, uh, there's a, um, there were, uh, was a, a serious limitation on the kind of exercises that you could do at the gym. For restaurants here, something that's kind of specific for China, all the restaurants now are open, but they're, um, but the authorities are encouraging people to use serving utensils. And um, for people to eat out with their own plates. And that's a cultural difference in China, because in China, most people share this, like, eat everything family style with a shared dish. And then um, finally, what we're watching is the theaters, because new guidelines just came out in Shanghai that um, where we're anticipating a push to open the cinemas in June. And um, one of the, the um, requirements is that uh, people will have to have alternate seating and alternate rows. So that doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be a lot of people watching the movies, but, but hopefully, some, hopefully um, they'll be open to some. Although one thing that was kind of um, entertaining is that some people in the film industry said that there aren't any good movies right now in China to, <laughs> to screen, so that could be another big issue to get people in. Eunice, thank you for a look at what may be to come here. Um, it's great seeing you, and we will talk to you again soon. Next on Squawk Pod, airport-like security in offices and stadiums. Clear CEO Karen Seidman-Becker offers a glimpse of the future. It's about attaching your identity to your COVID-related health insights for employers, for employees, for customers. Everybody wants to know that each other's safe to start to reopen businesses and get America moving. We'll be right back. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. 
For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. This is Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Andrew. States are looking to reopen. Many companies are looking uh, for ways that they can monitor the health and safety of their employees. This week, Clear started rolling out its Health Pass, which is a touchless technology that tracks health insights for people looking to enter places of work. And uh, we want to welcome Clear CEO Karen Sodman Becker uh, to the program this morning. Good morning to you. Uh, most people know Clear. By going to the airport, it was born uh, after 9-11. Uh, this is another crisis uh, with, a, with a new component that's being born. Explain what this product is in terms of how it's going to work uh, relating to COVID. So you're right. Clear was born out of 9-11. And it was about a public-private partnership leveraging uh, innovation to enhance homeland security and delight customers. And that was really the beginning of screening 1.0. And just like screening was forever changed post 9-11, in a post-COVID environment, you're going to see screening and public safety significantly shift. But this time it's beyond airports, right? It's sports stadium, it's retail, it's um, office buildings, it's restaurants. And so while we started with travel at our core, we're a biometric secure identity platform where it's always been about attaching your identity to your boarding pass, the airport, or your ticket to get into a sports stadium or your credit card to buy a beer. And so now with the launch of Clear Health Pass, it's about attaching your identity to your COVID-related health insights for employers, for employees, for customers. Everybody wants to know that each other's safe to start to reopen businesses and get America moving. Right. Just to clarify one point about this, though, this program is not a testing program, though I imagine testing can be added to it. But this is about people answering questionnaires about their own health. And so the question is, how do you think about that in terms of creating a trusted environment? Absolutely. You're right. This is not a testing platform. Just like airport screening is a multi-layered approach, screening 2.0 is a multi-layered approach to buy down risk and increase confidence. So it starts from a mobile app perspective with facial uh, connecting your face to your identity and the questionnaire. You then bring that into the physical environment where it's about you, your questionnaire and then temperature. It's also then about linking, just like we built those links to tickets, it's about linking to lab companies and test data. And this will continue to evolve with social distancing, with masks, but it's about putting that whole picture together, those many layers. And ultimately the vaccine, in terms you of, are your vaccine. In terms of the cost of this to employers and also its relationship to the clear pass that people are used to using, both now at airports, but also at stadiums, are they connected? Is your identity connected? Is that information shared? These are, the, of course, then we get into the privacy issues. Uh, so privacy and data security is job one at Clear. It has been for 10 years and it will continue to be, right? We've built a brand that stands for trust, which is why we think we're uniquely positioned here. So we'll be retrofitting our pods at airports for that experience with temperature and be able to integrate it. But this is very separate, free for consumers. And then we'll be partnering uh, with enterprises, just like we do with Delta and United at the transportation and talking to great people, whether it be Jim Murren trying to open Las Vegas or Danny Myers on the restaurant side, 
or people in real estate like Scott Reckler. So you have such a united front here to right. bring forth the solution. Real quick, uh, before we go, do you see a day where we actually test every single person who gets on an airplane? I think that's a great question. Um, I don't know that I'm the right person to answer that. I see a day where we need significant amounts of data to health insights around COVID and potentially others, right? This is the beginning uh, to create a safe travel environment. Okay. Uh, Karen, we wish you lots of luck. Um, everybody's trying, and uh, this is a really unique and interesting product, and uh, we uh, look forward to uh, getting an update on it uh, as you progress. Thanks so much. Thank you. Stay safe. Next on Squawk Pod, we're going from the airport terminals into the cockpits. Boeing's CEO is taking some heat from his peers, and a spokesman for pilots says his industry deserves decisive action from the FAA. Got to get this right. We'll squander the billions of dollars of the CARES Act money that has been invested in the airlines if we don't. No matter what you're a fan of, Texas has the trip for you. There's the trip to Texas and the trip. Or maybe you're the kind of fan who'd prefer a trip to Texas or a trip. Either way, go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. Travel is great, but planning for travel can be time-consuming and difficult. That's where one travel comes in. With one travel, you'll find everything you need to book the perfect trip. Flights, hotels, cars, transportation, it's all right there. With one travel, you can book online, via app, or even pick up the phone and talk to a travel advisor ready to help you make your selections. Visit onetravel.com slash music or call 855-437-2154. Plan it, book it, live it. One Travel. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan. Damage control. Boeing CEO Dave Calhoun is reportedly trying to smooth over relations with some of the major airline CEOs after telling uh, NBC some carriers may not survive the current crisis. Apocalyptic does actually accurately describe the moment. Uh, I don't think it describes the recovery and I don't think it describes the medium or long term for the airline industry or aviation in general. Do you expect the airlines to be able to survive this? Do you think there might be a major U.S. carrier that just has to go out of business? Well, it's, I don't want to get uh, uh, too predictive on that subject, but yes, most likely. Sources tell CNBC a high-ranking executive at United and American Airlines CEO Doug Parker complained about uh, Calhoun's comments and... God, you got to be so careful whenever you say anything. But um, if you say a major airline, then, you you know, you, everybody gets mad. Any, anyone even considered close to being major. So you throw them all in as a possibility of losing it. So you can see that uh, that might not be taken. That's uh, so great. By, Corey, uh, you're not a major carrier anymore. I wasn't talking about you. Yeah, yeah exactly. But if you are, you might <laughs> be one of the anymore. ones that doesn't survive. Sorry. Um, He's got his own issue. I, it, that's what I mean. I don't think he was necessarily trying to, you know, to emphasize the negative he, he there because he's got his own worries. He was answering I hope a question so, he was asked honestly. Right. I yeah. hope Boeing he, was, he was answering a question he was yeah. specifically asked honestly. That's, I'm sure he's not you know. taking any uh, satisfaction in, in making that point no. because he's got his own uh, no. worries. Obviously, don't we all? 
As airlines slash their schedules, some flights are getting more crowded, and now a lawmaker is getting involved. Phil Abo is here. He's got the story on that front. Phil, good morning. Becky, the lawmaker is Representative Peter DeFazio. He runs the House Transportation Committee. When he talks, airlines listen. Representative DeFazio says all middle seats should be open. The airlines should do that. He sent a letter to the airlines. Also wants them to limit capacity to 67%. In his letter that he sent yesterday, he writes, who among the CEOs of the Air A4A carriers, that's Airlines for America, would want a member of their own family to be assigned to a middle seat between two potentially contagious passengers in the middle of a global pandemic. At this point, he is urging the airlines to keep that middle seat open. He has not yet said whether or not he would push for some type of legislation to require that. As you take a look at the airline stocks, and what you're seeing here is all of these stocks, if they're not at 52-week lows, they're at multi-year lows. So the airline stocks continue to see a lot of pressure here. The number of people flying still remains very low, down 93% compared to the same day a year ago. The average plane load, about 17 passengers. Yesterday, Delta came out and said, look, we have more pilots than we need, 7,000 more than we will need in the fall of this year. That's half of their total number of pilots. They have about 14,000. They're retiring all of their 777 planes. So the airline is quickly, airline and airline industry, they're quickly moving to cut their costs as quickly as possible. As you take a look at shares of Boeing, we should also point out the company yesterday appointed a 31-year veteran of the company to spearhead health initiatives so that they can work with the airlines and policymakers to promote the fact that it is safe to fly. And, guys, this is going to be an issue that is going to continue to percolate because the airlines are in a catch-22 here in terms of flying promoting social distancing, yet at the same time, they're in the business of making every flight profitable if possible. That question, how many would fly if someone was in the middle seat? How many would fly if someone wasn't in the middle seat? I mean, it's probably... Well, it doesn't... But, but, from, but, Joe, from the perspective of the airline, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but from the perspective of the airline, you basically have said 33% of your seats, they're dead. That's what I that's mean, but dead. I wouldn't want to fly... I'm, I'm saying that you get the same answer. It, just having the middle seat open doesn't, doesn't all of a sudden make you feel any better with a member of your family going to fly on a flight, Phil. That's all I'm saying. That's not a panacea just because the middle seat's open. Um, anyway, you're right, Joe. You know, so I don't know what they're going to do. And, and, and that's what we've talked about. They had to... Look how they tried to control capacity so that all the planes were full. The, whole, the only way they were making money was with full planes. So the whole business model doesn't work this way unless right. you triple prices. Right. Anyway, and, if you were, and, Joe, if you were to do true social distancing, my producer Megan Reeder and I were working on this yesterday. Just take a 737. You might get, might get 22 to 25 people on a plane if you did true social distancing. Right. One seat in between people is not six feet. No, no. You know, what is it, 20 inches, 22 inches? No, that's what I mean. Okay, let's, let's speak to somebody who's, who's on the front lines, Dennis Tager's Allied Pilots Association Communications Committee spokesman and a pilot himself. You've been flying in the last week uh, and this week, so you know what's happening. And, and what is, tell us your perspective right now, Dennis. Well, right now we're at this pivot point where we thought we had uh, mandates from our airlines for masks. Social distancing is just not, you can't get that 100% on an airplane, uh, just like you pointed out with Phil. The line is the masks protect each other. We protect each other. They're masks of respect. Uh, you're not going to propel any uh, unknown uh, uh, condition that you have onto somebody else. We are just floored that the DOT, who the FAA works for, 
has uh, stated that safety and well-being of our passengers is our number one priority, yet uh, they bifurcate it out and say we're not in charge of public health. As captain of the aircraft, when folks get on my airplane, I've got one goal in mind, and that is to protect them. I don't bifurcate it. So we need mandates, mandates for masks, it's for cleaning and screening. The DOT, Secretary DOT actually said she hopes that airlines will clean the airplanes uh, like they should. This is not a time for hope. This is a time for actual uh, must do and mandate. So we're not going to be able to do the, it, it, Phil called it a catch-22. I guess it is a catch-22. Unless you were to triple prices, you can't, I don't even know if that, would be far enough away. You'd have one person in a row, it seems like. So social distancing is not going to be possible. It's got to be cleanliness and masks is the only way. That's that's what's going to instill confidence. This is about instilling confidence in, in the traveling public uh, that it's okay to fly. I, I've been out there. I've seen everybody's wearing their masks. But you just saw this week where airlines had to back away from their individual mandates of masks on the airplane, saying to get on it, you have to have a mask. But once you're on it, if someone doesn't want to wear it, there's nothing we can do about it. That's where the D Department of Transportation, the FAA, come in. It, it's, it's time. They're giving us a platform of jello to stand firmly on. That's not going to work. That's just not how my cockpit works. That's not how my cabin works. We deserve some action. And Chairman DeFazio has been a champion in a lot of these uh, efforts. It doesn't, it doesn't go to parties. The president wants this back up and running. So do we. But we've got to do it responsibly. Slogans don't work. Actual actions work. And it has to be concrete. We cannot rely on recommendations for recommendations. It's a circle of frustration for us. And, and frankly, it's reckless. Got to get this right. We'll squander the billions of dollars of the CARES Act money that has been invested in the airlines if we don't do this uh, with some concrete measures. It's that simple. How are we going to deal with all the pilots that that aren't needed right now to fly to, to fly planes? What 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 are the discussions in in your in your, in your group about that? We're a standout at American Airlines. We worked early on with our management team. We now have 5,500 pilots who have taken voluntary partial pay leaves, serving cash flow and keeping pilots on reserve ready to roll when we get into this recovery. And that extends through the summer. So we're, we're taking uh, cleaning action, working with our management team. There are other airlines. I know Delta you know, shocked uh, the system by talking about the overage of pilots. Uh, we're handling it in a way that works and it complies with the CARES Act now and in the intent in the future. Um, and, you know, you had mentioned David Calhoun, the CEO of Boeing, and what he said, another shockwave out there. Well, based on Boeing's assumptions uh, on a particular aircraft, the MAX, uh, our counsel would be just like other CEOs, the CEO of our airline. Uh, I'll just say it bluntly. Tell you what, you fly your jet and we'll fly ours. And by the way, one of your jets is grounded. So uh, we'll do our job. You focus on yours, and uh, we'll get through this. We're going to say thank you to Dennis. That's Squawk Pod for today and for another week. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a good weekend. No matter what you're a fan of, Texas has the trip for you. There's the... 
trip to Texas. And the trip. Or maybe you're the kind of fan who'd prefer a trip to Texas. Or a trip. Either way, go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours.